Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I am joined with my ghoul friend Jessica. Hello. Hello and oh my god. As you guys can see by the title, this is not a normal stabby <laughs> or a normal thing we fucking do. Okay, listen. First of all, as you see, this is an episode from our backlog of the all tier episodes we have on Patreon. And we chose one that's a little bit older so that way, you know, we can refresh your minds. And it was one we thought turned out really well and we enjoyed it. So here we are. Right. But listen, guys, this fucking week, like we're talking same time frame, like real. This is like the week you're hearing this. <laughs> um, let's see. Murphy's Law, everything's gone wrong. That fucking meme where it's the dog with the coffee sitting in hell and everything burning, and he's saying everything's fine. <laughs> that is me and Jessica right now because basically on the back end, everything that could go wrong this week has went wrong. So <laughs> we are at this point, it is too late for us. Like, here, let me just tell you guys. Okay, so the slaughters that will go up this week, probably uh Friday or so, we will have recorded it three times. <laughs> Fingers crossed it's okay. Knock it on wood. And at this point, it is too late for us to record and me to edit our original stabby Jessica was going to do for today. So that will be coming, but we're keeping that on the back burner because we have to retake care of that one. So we have this for you instead because, you know, we didn't want to miss a day of content and we thought this would be a good way to kind of bring this in. It seems like now it's like a yearly tradition. It's been about a year since we did this. Yeah, Seriously, guys, it's like one of those moments where like yesterday I texted Tara and was like, do you want the good news or the slightly okay news? And then she's like, oh, no, I said the bad news or the slightly okay news. And she's like, the bad news. I was like, um, half your track is just missing. <laughs> just not there. Yeah. And so it's just been it's been literally a weird ass week. It's been a journey. But you guys will definitely enjoy the episode that you're going to listen to. It was a really good one. Yeah, no, most definitely. So like I said, it is an older all-tier episode. So if we refer to y'all as patrons, that is why. But we are going to go ahead and just dive into the episode. We hope you guys enjoy our take on the Elise Pollard case and the Jennifer's Body movie. Welcome back to another bonus episode here on Patreon. Of course, this is Tara. And as always, I am joined with my ghoul friend, Jessica. Hello. Hello. 
And today we are going to be talking about the death of Elise Poller, a.k.a. the case that inspired the movie of Jennifer's Body. Kind of sad that that's the well-known thing about it, but we thought this would be kind of interesting to do because of that connection. And it's been a while since we've done a case like that. I think the last one we did like this was uh, the Texarkana murders. Mm -hmm. So been a minute, been a minute. Basically, how it's going to go is I'm going to tell you all about the real case, and then Jessica's going to kind of go over the movie. I actually, in real time, just finished the movie rewatching like an hour ago, and uh, oh my god, I just have to say all the nostalgia from like 2009. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh god. Right? It was definitely a different time back then. I was like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it was interesting, but then you like think about it, and you're like, people really acted like that, and things happened like that. Oh god. It's true. <laughs> but we do want to just take a minute to say thank you all for supporting the show. As always, we love you guys very much. But yeah, besides that, I think we're just going to go ahead and dive on in. So Elise was born on April 24th, 1980 to David and Lizanne Poller. She was the oldest of four children. The family lived in Arroyo Grande, California, and that's kind of like San Luis Obispo area from what I read. She was active in sports. She was also in theater, and she participated in her church choir. Her friends and family described her as an outgoing girl, and it's also noted that she wanted to grow up to be an actress. At the time of her disappearance and death, she was 15 years old. Her description was 5'7 and 120 pounds. She also had blonde hair and blue eyes. And as you guys know, we do like to highlight the victim more than the murderers when possible, but sadly, there just honestly is not much else out about her. I even had to dig just to get, like, her extracurriculars, which is sad. But with that, I'm just going to go ahead and jump in on what happened. She was last seen on July 22nd, 1995, when she was leaving the Pollard family home for, quote, unknown reasons at the time. Elise would be missing without any type of answers, any clues, anything for eight months. There had been some kind of false tips that came in saying that she'd been seen around the slow area, but it wasn't her. Then on March 13th, 1996, Elise's body was found. There was a little bit of conflicting reporting as far as how the discovery happened. But basically, when you look at like the court documents and the confessions and all of that stuff, it ended up being that one of her killers was the reason for the discovery. And uh, yes, there's more than one. And one of them led them to her body. When they found her, her body was extremely decomposed by this point, And that's the least of it, sadly. Just fair warning, if you are not familiar with this case, it's a bit graphic and not good. So this person that helped with the discovery, his name was Royce Casey. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about him and the other people, because like I said, you know, there's a whole group involved with this. So there was Royce, like I just mentioned, Joseph Fiorella, and Jacob De La Schmidt. So these guys, they were ages 14, 15, and 16. So they were teens too. They were from the area. And they did not have the most stellar reputation, to say the least. Jacob was known as an amphetamine user and a troublemaker. And Joseph and Royce were also known as troublemakers, too. And when they were asked by, like, other students what they knew about them and stuff, basically they were referred to as, like, outcasts. And it was also known by, like, everybody that they were regularly taking acid and meth. They're so young. Right. I know. 
Along with this, the boys were in a death metal band together called Hatred. And if you're not totally clear on what death metal is exactly, basically it's a subgenre of like heavy metal rock that features really explicit lyrics dealing with like murder, torture, occult, scary stuff, dark stuff. Along with that, the boys are also known to be into the occult and Satanism. Now, when I was looking into this, and a lot of people thought, too, that the kind of little group leader would be probably the oldest, but it wasn't. It was actually Joseph, who, like I said, was 14, so he was the youngest. And Joseph was, like, super into all of the Satanism stuff at first and kind of pulled the other two in. Basically, it started as them just playing like the death metal music, but then it progressed to Joseph asking if they would sacrifice a virgin and all this other stuff. And the boys had said that at first they were just like, okay, dude's just, you know, fucking around being weird. But the more he got into it and then started talking about it to his friends more, it kind of like did this whole cycle. Like they would get more interested, so it'd make him more interested in researching it to bring them more information. And it just snowballed. They had believed that they needed to make a sacrifice to Satan himself, a human sacrifice. And since Royce was the first asked about this, he said it was, quote, to receive power from the devil to help them play guitar better. And more specifically, by making this perfect sacrifice to the devil, they would gain more craziness or nuts, is what he told an investigator. Also said to him that... It would make them play harder, play faster, and by making this perfect sacrifice to the devil, it would help them go, quote, professional. So they thought they needed to commit murder to become famous. With that, the boys didn't just act, you know, impulsively or randomly. They had a plan, and their plan involved Elise. So their connection to her was actually, wasn't necessarily school. It was that Elise had attended Mariposa Community Recovery Center, and she met Jacob there. They had both been there for treatments of drug and alcohol abuse, which for her, from what I read, was she wasn't into hard drugs. She only smoked weed, but obviously it's like a different time. And if the drinking was out of hand, you know, they may have just been trying to help her. So the boys took their time with their plan. And when they actually did succeed in murdering her, it wasn't their first attempt. So apparently Elise had went out with Jacob, Joseph, and a different boy, not Royce. His name was Travis Williams, and they went out to like a ravine type of area to go smoke some weed on like a mesa, so like out. And what happened with this was one of the boys acted like he fell down into the ravine, kind of like, you know, to go more secluded, and was asking Elise to come down for help and all of that. So she did. And once they got there, Joseph tossed Travis a hunting knife and was like goading him on to stab her. They literally said, he said, do it, do it now, like that kind of thing. But apparently Travis froze up and just didn't do anything. And Elise must have thought they were just like fucking around and joking because she didn't report any of this. This didn't come out till after her death that this even happened. And a little side note, yeah, Travis froze, but he wasn't really, you know, super innocent himself. Travis and the boys, they apparently liked to sneak into cemeteries and stuff and apparently had plans to go back and steal some bodies. It's so weird. Right? Like, okay, great. So obviously he was like into that stuff too. But we're going to go back to July 22nd. And I'm sure you can guess the unknown reason Elise left her house was to go smoke weed with the boys with Joseph, Jacob and Royce. And they were in like a eucalyptus grove. So out again, like last time. 
And after they had smoked some weed, they began their attack. Jacob took off his belt and began to choke Elise with it. Royce grabbed and held onto her hands so she couldn't move, kind of like binding them with his hands. And then Joseph began to stab her with that same knife from the first incident, so a hunting knife. And he would end up slashing her throat and then passing the knife around to the other two so they could get in on this as well. And she would be stabbed 12 times. Poor little girl. I know. Now, it's also stated that while she was being attacked, she was, like, calling out for, like, her mother and calling out for God and just, like, all of this stuff. So it's just, it's really heartbreaking. But there's more. According to the autopsy, the stab wounds were actually not her cause of death. Her cause of death was from blood loss. They were letting her bleed out and suffer. And apparently they got impatient and thought it was taking too long. So they decided to stomp on her neck to break it and have things end. And there's more. After she was dead, the boys took turns having sex with her corpse. And if that's not bad enough, because it just keeps dumpster firing, Jacob would actually brag to his friends that they had a dead corpse out there, meaning Elise, and he'd go back often and have sex with it multiple times. That's so gross. It is. And basically, his other friends had thought he was full of shit and, you know, making things up to be like, I'm so cool, and aka you're fucking disgusting. But he was not making any of that up. So like I mentioned, Royce was the one who told authorities about all of this. And my question was like, what happened? He had a change of heart. So apparently, shortly after Royce started realizing like what the fuck they had done, he was feeling guilt like a normal human being at that point. And his parents said that they noticed shortly after her death or after her disappearance, because obviously at that time they didn't know, he became even more recluse and isolated than he was before. And he was like always in his room by himself and didn't really talk to anybody. Well, during this time, he was journaling a lot and apparently doing a lot of like self-reflection. One passage said, quote, I'm fighting the other side now, allied with darkened souls. Satan raised and shall conquer and reign. In the Bible, it said that in the end, Lucifer will bring out his best in everything. Music, love, murder. All the psycho serial killers and rapists don't know that if they would just build an altar and sacrifice and kill the people on the altar, then they would have repeated sex with the corpse. Virgin meat is the ultimate sacrifice. Along with journaling, he also decided it was time to convert. He chose Christianity. And he also started getting scared because once this started happening, when he had conversations with the other two, they were basically hinting at, oh, Elise isn't the only one we're going to kill. There's going to be more. And he thought he was going to be that target because he was essentially doing a 180 in everything. So at this point, with the guilt and the fear and everything, he decided to go to, like, the pastor at the church and confess his sins. And he went into all the gory details and everything with him. And that pastor was basically like, um, okay, now you need to go tell that all to the police. Pastors are mandated reporters, so. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If he hadn't gone and done it, the pastor would have had to go and do it himself. I mean, I think there's, like, difference with, like, priests. But like pastors, those are mandated reporters. Well, see, it kept saying like pastor and priest. And I know those can be two different things. So I'm not sure what the title the guy had was. But Mm. either way, the dude convinced him to go talk to the police, obviously, because like I said, he's how they found the body. So obviously this went to court. 
On September 16, 1996, the boys pled guilty to the rape and murder charges that they were all tried for, and they were all tried separately. And on February 5th of 97, so this did drag out a couple years, Joseph pled no contest to the murder and he was sentenced 25 years to life. And later in the year, so towards like fall, Royce and Jacob followed suit and acknowledged what they did and they were sentenced to 26 years to life. Now, it's noted that Joseph got a different sentencing because he was actually not tried as an adult. The other two were. They decided since he was 14, they tried him as a minor. And from my understanding, what I was reading was the 25 years was kind of like the highest they could do, which really it's like two life. So I don't know why people got hung up on that when I was reading stuff, but some people did. Well, because I think what happens is when they're that young, they can go in and they can kind of be deprogrammed from like this like craziness. And then 25 years, like what is that like if they're 15, 25 years puts them at what? So he was 16 when this finally all happened. But yeah, even 25 years would be like 41. So not very old at all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> I'm not good at math. <laughs> yeah, but like that's not that old. And like at 41, he could get out and have like a really good life. Yeah, I don't know. So all the boys were sent into different facilities. They were all separated. Royce was sent to the R.J. Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego. Joseph was sent to the High Desert State Prison in Susanville. And Jacob was sent to the Correctional Training Facility in Soledad. And parole... They've already had some hearings. So Royce was denied parole in July 2016, and he's up again in 2021. Joseph was supposed to actually have his parole hearing this June, so 2020, but I didn't find any updates on that. So it's probably because of COVID, I'm assuming, got delayed. Yeah. So his will be sometime this year, I'm assuming. And then, honestly, the weird thing was there was no parole updates for Jacob or anything noted that I could find. So I'm sure it's a similar case. I don't know. But what was interesting was that during their confessions and also in court and everything, they tried to blame it on the death metal music and say that Slayer, the band, had really influenced them and got them into all of this and et cetera, et cetera. But then a couple years after the fact, like literally, I think like four years later, they were like, no, it had nothing to do with Slayer. This had nothing to do with Satan. And it's like, okay, so you're just saying you just killed her. How is that any better? It's not. Well, like, look at like the son of Sam, like son of Sam was like a demon dog, maybe do it. And then he got into prison and it's not cool to be crazy in prison. (laughs) Yeah. And then speaking of Slayer, Elisa's parents actually tried to sue the band in 1996, saying that it was the cause of her death. They believed that with all the like scary music songs, so they have songs like Postmortem and other stuff like that, that they think that they were responsible. But basically, this would go on for a few years and eventually it would get thrown out in 2001 and the band didn't have to like pay anything. Basically, the judge had said, quote, lyrics written by the heavy metal band may have been offensive, but they did not incite three teens to murder. That Slayer's lyrics are repulsive and profane, but they do not direct or instruct listeners to commit the acts that result in the vicious torture murder of Elise Pollard, end quote. 
And then the judge also ruled, you know, that the music is not harmful to children and all of that. So it's not illegal. Like, they're not doing anything illegal. They can do what they want because, you know, First Amendment. Hello. But I do feel bad and I feel for the family. Obviously, they lost a child. Mm -hmm. But they also went through like a ton of shit afterwards. So her dad did write during the court proceedings with Slayer that he was unable to work from 95 to 98 because his mental health was just such in a bad place that he had to get counseling and all of this, you know, for his grief and whatnot. And he said, quote, for many months, we suffered through the nightmare of not knowing what happened to Elise. When her body was finally discovered, I learned that she had been barbarically murdered and I was consumed with grief. Although the defendants received prison sentences ranging from 25 years to life, it did little to ease the horror of what they had done. The pain of losing my daughter and knowing she suffered will never leave me. Understandable. Prior to her disappearance and murder, the Pollers, they were lived a pretty comfortable life. Her dad, David, he would make roughly between $75,000 to $120,000 a year. He was like a general contractor. And after this had all happened, when he quit work, he gave up a project and he said he lost out on $520,000 in profits. So a lot. And because of him not working and all of that, it put a big financial strain on the family. Uh, They ended up having to receive government assistance and be on welfare, and they eventually had to foreclose on their house. That is sad. Yeah. And along with grief, anger was definitely present in David, as expected. So in 2014, he was involved in a road rage incident, and he said that this whole thing kind of stirred up his PTSD and caused him to act how he did. He said that he had been cut off in traffic, and then apparently he followed the vehicle to like a nearby parking lot, and it said that he allegedly opened the door and pulled the driver out by his shirt and was probably about to beat the shit out of him. He was charged with battery. This ended up being dismissed, though, but he did plead no contest to the misdemeanor of vandalism. With that, he received probation and also a $500 fine. And he, of course, as you would expect, was ordered to take anger management classes. So it's obviously just been a rough time for them ever since, which is just, you know, it's always heartbreaking. But that is the case of Elise Poller. Now I'm going to hand it over to Jessica so we can chit-chat about Jennifer's body. So end on a little bit of a lighter note. Yes. So, okay. I particularly like this movie. This idea came from like Tara and I were looking. I remember we were looking at movies or something that was like underrated and Jennifer's body was on the list and we both were like, yes, that movie is underrated. Definitely. I love it. Yeah, it's definitely like a horror comedy. And I feel like that was a little ahead of its time because... I don't think a lot of people totally got the humor of horror comedy yeah. so much back then. Yes. This movie is actually classified as a supernatural horror black comedy. And they mean like dark comedy. I don't know why they put black, but that's what they put. And it was released in 2009. It was actually released in the U.S. on September 18th, 2009. Ah. It stars Megan Fox, Amanda Seyfried, Johnny Simmons, and um, it has some other big names in this movie as well so just to name a few of them adam brody who i love so much Mm -hmm. adam brody has been one of my crushes like throughout the years 
Love him. Everyone is like, it's because of the OC. It's not because of the OC. It has <laughs> nothing to do with the OC. It has everything to do with the movie Grind. <gasps> I forgot about that movie. Yeah, I know. I forced you to watch it like 16 million times. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's such a good movie. <laughs> anyway. And so Adam Brody is in it. And then J.K. Simmons is in it. So, yeah. If you like him. Amy Sedaris is in it. I rewatched the movie today as well. So, like, I had pulled up the IMDb so I could follow along. And I'm like, who the hell is Amy Sedaris? I didn't even <laughs> recognize her. She's Adam's, or Amanda Seyfried's mom. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite person that's in this movie is Chris Pratt. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, excuse me, what? Because Tara texts me. She's like, I forgot Chris Pratt was in this movie. It's like, Chris Pratt is not in this movie. It's because he's only in the movie for, like, five minutes. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he dies. Yeah, he dies in the bar fire. Yes. So the reason this movie is right now is being talked about as kind of like a different, and I didn't know this, but I read this on the Wikipedia page, which I thought was really interesting, and I wanted to share it. It's like, it didn't do well, obviously, like right out the gate. It was, like Tara said, I think it was a little bit before its time. Mm -hmm. It's funny. It has like two main characters. Like Jennifer's character is very like proud of herself and like doesn't like let other people put her down for her sexuality or like her promiscuity like yeah i've slept with people it's not a fucking big deal you know whereas like when i was in high school it was like even if you were in a serious relationship it was still skanky to sleep with people (laughs) and this was like only like five years after i got out of high school so it was like jennifer and being in a small town too like jesus Mm -hmm. so she like really took ownership and then having a friendship where it was like Oh, I'll talk about that friendship in a minute because that was not a healthy friendship. But apparently since 2018, in the wake of the Me Too movement, this film has become more appreciated as a feminist horror film and is now considered a cult film. Wow, I did not know that. I just learned that with the Wikipedia page. That's why you need to. That's why we read things. <laughs> yeah, I have noticed it's popped up in a lot more articles recently because I'm in a lot of like besides like true crime groups, I'm in like horror groups and spooky groups and stuff like that, and it's popping up more and more. And it seems like a lot of people are going through that process. We were like, oh yeah, I forgot about that movie, and you rewatch it and you love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think COVID has had an impact on our watching things. Yeah. So let's talk the movie. Yes. So basically the storyline is it's about these two friends, Anita or Needy Lesnick and her best friend, Jennifer. What is Jennifer's last name? Mm. Oh, uh, Jennifer Check. Oh, yeah, because she says that when she introduces herself to Adam Brody. She's like, hi, I'm Jennifer Check. I'm like, who the fuck says their full name? <laughs> People who are starstruck. Apparently. It starts off there in this small town in Minnesota, and it's called Devil's Kettle. And it's called Devil's Kettle because there's this, like, waterfall, but then there's, like, this, like, special hole at the bottom of the waterfall where everything, like, flows down. And apparently they couldn't find where any of it goes. But I have thoughts on that later because that fucking irritated the shit out of me. It's, like, one of those things where you're like, uh, that's annoying because they totally, at the end, they brought it back. I was like, "Mm." They definitely would have noticed that. (laughs) Yeah. And so basically it starts off and it's like Jennifer is like the popular girl. She was like the snow queen. Two years ago. When you were relevant. (laughs) (laughs) It's actual quotes from the movie. Uh, Yes. Uh, So basically it's like Amanda Seyfried's character goes by needy and neat, which is kind of like a really I like it when it's so straightforward, like 
this is almost like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, like obvious. Mm-hmm. She's needy as fuck. She needs Jennifer's affirmation and like approval and she needs her boyfriend's love and, you know, and then she needs the rest of the world to understand what her and Jennifer have. Like I look up on here, it says popular cheerleader. She's no, she was a flag girl. Yeah. So like not the same. (laughs) And they seem like really opposite. Needy is like really kind of like muted in like what she wears and like her makeup and her hair. She's definitely not as like, quote unquote, hip as Jennifer, where Needy's maybe like hiding her body through her clothes. Jennifer is very much like expressing her curves through hers. Jennifer is very like in your face attention, which is fine. You can be that way. There's nothing wrong with that. No, but it's just like the way that their friendship is. It's like people are like, why are they friends? It doesn't make any sense because mm-hmm, they're opposites. So basically what happens is Jennifer doesn't really, like, she just basically tells Needy, like, we're going to this. And when Needy's like, I want to spend time with my boyfriend, Jennifer's like, X Needy out. And basically Needy's like, no, I need Jennifer more than my boyfriend. She blows off her boyfriend to spend time with Jennifer. One of the parts I really liked, which was kind of showing who they are in this relationship with one another, is when she says, wear something cute or wear something sexy or or something like that. And it was really saying, like, don't look like a hobo, but don't upstage me. And, like, the fact that she's like, I can show my midriff off, but I can't show my cleavage off. Yeah, because that's her thing, which reminded me of, like, Mean Girls. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wear hoop earrings because... Because Regina says those are hers. Um, anyway, sorry. So basically they go to what Jennifer keeps referring to as like the club, which is really like a bar, which even in a small town, you can't go into a bar if you're not 21. But apparently this is like, you have a baby in a bar. <laughs> you know what movie that is, right? Yeah, it's Sweet Home Alabama. Yes, I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was hoping it. So they basically, they go to this indie rock show and they're going to see this band with the worst name ever called Low Shoulder, which I will say like there was a shit ton of bands at this time who had like obscure names. Yes, I went to many, a con- not in creepy bars. They were usually at, um, you know, like other venues, but I went to many of those type of concerts and I was like, oh God, this is high school over again. And Matt looked at me like, you really went to stuff like that? And I was like, yes, I did. Like where Tara and I grew up, it's kind of like that was what you did. Like local bands were like a big deal. Like I had a friend who was in a few. Yeah. We had nothing better to do. Right. And if you were like, okay, like if you were good, you'd go to like Marco's. Mm. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I usually went to like the ones at the Senator Theater too. Oh, yeah. And the, what is it, the El Rey? The other theater? I can't remember. The one that's over by the bear? Yeah, that one. And then there's another venue in like another kind of neighboring small town that would do small shows and stuff like that. Well, the senator, like, fucking Snoop Dogg went to the senator, like, three times in one year. And everyone is like, why the hell is he hurts? Because Chico has good weed. Right. Pretty much. But, yeah. Anyway, we can move on from that. We just, we went to concerts at many a little places. Yes. Yes. But none of them were, like, this creepy bar. (laughs) Yeah. None. And basically, like Tara mentioned a little earlier, like, Jennifer sees, like, the lead singer of Low Shoulder, who's Adam Brody, and it's just like, I'm in love with you. And this is like the time that Chris Pratt is in the movie. (laughs) And 
you basically learn that Jennifer and Chris Pratt, like he's obviously older. It lists him as like a police officer, but he's actually in the movie like a cadet, or at least that's what they say. You can tell that they have like a sexual relationship because Adam Brody's character starts talking to this other guy who's part of the band named Dirk. And they basically are like, she's the one. She's a virgin because she's like that girl who's like, they're basically calling her like a cock tease. She dresses sexy, but like doesn't put out type situation. And Needy overhears this and she confirms that Jennifer is a virgin. And then she talks to Jennifer, which I think is so funny because she goes and gets these like patriotic shots. And she's like, oh, one of the towers isn't full. (laughs) And I was like, that's such a funny line because like one of the drinks was a little lower than the other. She has so many funny like one liners during that movie. Oh, she did. Oh, my God. I loved it. For sure. You know, and like Needy's telling her like, we should go. They're creepy. They just wanted to know that you're a virgin, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I'm not even a backdoor virgin. Roman saw to that. And like Needy's obviously like trying to like bring this to her attention that these guys are creeps. And she's like, couldn't even go to drills the next day or flags the next day. I had to sit on a bag of frozen peas. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh, Oh, no. (laughs) She went awry. But, like, obviously, it's a small town, and a lot of times small towns, it's, like, statutory rape is, like, a weird thing where it's, like, people just, like, overlook it because they're, like, you know, the dating pool is kind of low. Mm -hmm. So while they're there, the bar catches on fire, like we mentioned, and basically everyone dies, but, like, maybe a handful of people, including the band and, obviously, like, Jennifer and Needy and then this kid that goes to, like, as an exchange student named Amit. And basically, after they get out, Adam Brody's character's in the parking lot. And like, oh my God, we were looking everywhere for you. I'm so glad you're okay. You know, you're in shock. You need to be someplace safe. Let's go to my van. Which Needy's like, no stranger danger. And Jennifer's like, I'll go with you. And it's it ends up bad for her. Mm-hmm. We'll kind of jump to that in a little bit because the next thing we know is that Needy goes home and calls her boyfriend and her boyfriend is like, what's wrong? Because she's all shooken up about this. And Jennifer basically shows up at her house, but she looks like she's been beat the fuck up and she's like being weird. And she like tries to eat a chicken. And I love this line where like <laughs> there has been so many times when like, someone has eaten my food like i wanted to scream at them the way like jennifer screams at at needy like just like demon scream at her but like she's like my mom got them from boston Boston market Market. like i'm not supposed to eat it and jennifer like i mean megan fox did an amazing job yeah she did literally like perched on her toes like squatted yeah I think most uncomfortable, like, catchers, like, softball catchers position. Yeah. With their arms holding this chicken. She just <laughs> drops the chicken on the floor and just, like, demon screeches. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if I could record that, like, with a straight face. So, like. Right? Oh, God. Super props to Megan Fox on this. Mm-hmm. So then, after this happens, she, Needy's like, Jennifer, are you okay? And then Jennifer throws up what Needy describes later as roadkill mixed with sewing needles. And then it's like, the next day, Needy goes to school and she's all fucking shook up about it, right? Well, Jennifer's just there and happy and she's like, what? What happened? Like, nothing happened. I didn't attack you last night. And it's like this big weird thing and basically needy's like something happened and jennifer's like nah, nothing happened we're good we're fine (laughs) it's fine 
and she puts on her Victoria's Secret lip gloss. True. I remember <laughs> watching that. I was like, I think I had that. Right. I definitely did. I may have had that because of this movie. <laughs> but anyway, so everyone's like really sad because of the fire and like <laughs> J.K. Simmons is their teacher. And like Jennifer is just being super irreverent when they're talking about this. They're talking about like the fact people died. And she's like, oh, bummer. Like that kind of like, mm, I could care less. And so one of the people who died in the fire was, like, the quarterback's, like, best friend. And he's, like, standing on the football field, like, crying. And his name, I think, is Janice. I don't know. Something like that. And basically, he's crying. And Jennifer, like, does her, like, sneaky, like, where he sees her walking, but then looks away and then looks back and she's gone. And then, like, looks back that other direction. She's, like, there. Mm -hmm. She's, like, I was, like, the last person to see your friend alive. And you know what he said to me? We would make a banging couple. Which I was, like... What a weird thing. And she's like, <laughs> I found it. And then she's like, isn't that weird? I was like, oh, it's like she knows what we should be thinking. And then they go into the woods to like make out. But this is where you see that something is actually wrong with Jennifer because her jaw unhinges and she disembowels him. And basically he's found by their teacher with a deer eating him, which I'm kind of like, do deers eat people? I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. Let us know if you know. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point in time, Everyone's like, oh, my God, this is so everyone in town is like, this is super sad. I can't believe this thing at the bar happened. The quarterback is dead. Which I'm like, how is he the quarterback? He was like a big, big dude. But anyway, so then at the same time, the band that was playing, mind you, their song is called Through the Trees. And I get that song <laughs> stuck in my head when I watch this movie. And we'll spend the next like week going through the trees. I don't know any of the other words. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole song. <laughs> Pretty much that's it. And so basically, like, they grow to, like, be hugely popular and, like, things are happening. And basically, like, everyone is like, oh, my God, Low Shoulder is amazing. And there's this one scene later in the movie where, like, Needy is just like, what? Because they were like, they're going to donate 3% of their earnings and she's like what about the other 97 percent?" and this girl named chastity i just thought it was really funny because her name was chastity in a movie about like a virgin sacrifice yeah <laughs> she's like they're like heroes and she's like they saved all those they saved people from you know from the bar fire and <laughs> needy's like that didn't happen at all and she's like yeah it is it's confirmed by wikipedia <laughs> and then it like cut to the teacher and his face was like mm. No. So as time goes on, Jennifer's Jennifer starts changing again. She's like moody. She's cranky. She looks like poo. It looks like she's iron deficient. <laughs> I was like, she's anemic. <laughs> Someone get her a steak. <laughs> basically, she's like, okay, there's something. Something's wrong. And she basically, this like emo goth guy named Colin asks her out. And she's like, no. And then she's like, fine. Because like Needy's like, he's a nice guy. And Jennifer ever competing with anything that Needy has is like... Which is kind of sucky because, like, when you look at, like, Jennifer's life, like, Jennifer's, like, family obviously has money because she's, like, a nice room and, like, nice clothes. And, like, Needy's mom obviously, like, works double shifts to, like, keep her in, like, thrift store clothes. Which isn't wrong because I like thrift store clothes. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like when you're in high school, there's definitely, like, a class system that people can get assholes about. Yeah. So when Needy's, like, yeah, Colin's a nice guy. Jennifer decides to go out with him. But it doesn't end so well for Colin because basically she eats him. And he's described as lasagna with teeth. Yeah, lasagna with teeth. 
But it's so weird because, like, as this is happening, Needy is hanging out with her boyfriend named Chip, and they're having sex. And, like, as Jennifer is killing Colin, like, she's seeing blood and all this weird things happening, and she's freaking out. And, like, she starts, like, screaming and crying. And Chip, in, like, the most high school boy line ever, was like, are you okay? Am I too big for you? Ugh, with a fucking little smirk. All right. Said no girl ever. Going, okay. <laughs> And I loved how she's Jennifer when they, you know, pan over to where she's looking at one time. She's doing that awkward little perch squat thing again <laughs> on the chair. A little, de- <laughs> little demon bird thing. I don't know. Could you imagine, like, being Amanda Seyfried and, like, laying there and, like, you're fake having sex? And mind you, she's much older, but she's pretending to be in high school and pretending to be, like, making love to her high school boyfriend. But then look over and someone like Megan Fox is perched on a chair just, like, Hey, what's up? <laughs> I think I would die. Yeah. And like the football player was sitting was seating in the chair and it was like she was almost a fucking parrot, like sitting on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And she had her like her creepy ass smirk on where she's like big teeth smile. Yeah, and it's supposed to be like scary, but it's just funny. <laughs> I mean, it's a little scary, and you're like, mm. oh yeah, she is definitely creepy looking for sure. Oh, for sure. But it's like funny in a fucked up way. <laughs> well, right, because it's like it's funny because you're like it's Megan Fox, and this movie is not that scary, but like, yeah. So needy basically like runs from that like gets dressed in a hurry runs from the house and like runs back to her house and is like very upset and gets into her room or my oh on the way home she stops in the middle of the road because she thinks she sees jennifer like she like swerves out of the way and then jennifer like jumps on her windshield and then she drives home and gets there and gets into bed and then screams because jennifer is in bed and then they have this like lesbian moment and then like It's only stopped because, like, Needy needs answers, not because it's, like, less than 30 minutes ago were you boning down with your boyfriend and she was murdering your friend, but, like, you need to know what the hell happened to her. And this is where Jennifer, like, basically tells her everything. Like, she went with the band that night and they were driving out to the falls, like, Devil's Kettle, and they get out there and they tie her up and basically sacrifice her. But because they think she's a virgin, but she's not a virgin. And mind you, they are talking about it. And she had an opportunity to be like, I'm not a virgin. But she's like, yes, I'm a virgin. I don't know how to do anything you need. I would have been like, not a virgin. Ruining your plans here. So they sacrifice her. And she basically tells Needy that like she has to eat people. And that the reason that Amit is like missing is because she ate him. And that she ate the football player. And that she just ate Colin. And, like, Needy's just supposed to be okay with this because they're friends. And Needy kicks her out. And then she goes and decides that she's going to, like, learn about what's going on. So she goes to the occult section of the library, which apparently is very small. Which I'm like, what kind of high school has an occult section? Right? That was not a thing. Right? And she basically determines that Jennifer is a succubus and needs to eat human flesh and can only be killed while she's hungry and weak. Not when she's strong. Because she definitely stabs her when she's strong. And is like, look, I regenerate. Needy's like freaking out. And like Chip comes up and is like, what's going on? You're being weird. You're not talking to anyone. And there's all these people dying. Long story short, uh, like Chip is like, I got his tickets to the spring formal. It's through the trees. But <laughs> the theme is through the trees. And she's like, I can't go with you. I'm going to be there, but I can't go with you. I have to stop Jennifer. And Chip is like, you're fucking insane. Like, this is crazy. And like leaves. But he's getting ready to go to the dance because I think like it flashes to them getting ready. And like 
Needy is wearing like the most tragic 80s dress and her mom does her hair so tragic. It's like she tried really hard to make her daughter look ugly. And so she like gets all dressed up and goes and is like waiting there. But like Chip never shows up. But also, surprise at the formal, there is a super surprise for the town is that Low Shoulder has come back and is playing their spring formal for free. Well, at this point in time, because I think something happened where like Chip made out with Needy and then Needy made out with Jennifer, they're like connected. So then Jennifer starts to like make out with Chip because they meet each other in like a foggy field. And basically Jennifer tells Chip like, oh, she's not upset because people are dying. She's upset because she used to bone Colin and her lover is gone. I think they she said they they pork on a semi-regular basis <laughs> was her actual words. And basically at this point they go into this like creepy abandoned swimming pool which apparently hasn't been like drained and or cleaned since like 1971 and Jennifer and Chip are making out and then she's like I'm going to eat your soul and like pushes him in the gross water and there's all that stuff and he's she's like sucking the life out of him vampire style. And then Needy comes in And there's basically, like, this fight between, like, Needy and Jennifer. And, oh, and Jennifer can, like, levitate, apparently. Yeah, that was kind of (laughs) cool. She's like, she's flying. No, she's just hovering. It's (laughs) And I love Jennifer's like, stop trying to undermine everything I do. (laughs) I was like, oh, there's so much happening right now. And basically, well, Chip ends up dying. And Jennifer ends up biting Needy, which apparently in this story, if... A succubus bites you or a demon bites you, um, you get some of their powers. Yeah. Chip basically, his last bit of strength he has, he impales Jennifer through the stomach with a pool skimmer. And she basically is like, Aw. My favorite is she asks Needy if she has a tampon. And Needy's like, No. She's like, Ah, oh, I thought you might be plugging. Oh, God. And she says it so seriously. And then she like literally climbs out this window and jumps down. Well, Obviously, Needy's pissed off. So she takes a shower. I don't know how many days later this is or what, but she basically comes to breaks into Jennifer's bedroom and they fight. Needy has a utility knife, which I think is hilarious. And I love the I <laughs> I love Jennifer's comment where she's like, Do you buy all your murder weapons at Home Depot? <laughs> And basically, they do this, like, weird, like, levitating fight thing. They're wrestling in midair, and Needy grabs Jennifer's necklace. That's, like, their BFF necklace and, like, throws it on the floor. And Jennifer's like, no. And it's, like, slow-mo. My husband had come home at this point. He's like, why does this part take forever? (laughs) But it's, like, Jennifer's dropping so slow and hits the bed. And then Needy falls on top of her and then just stabs her in the heart with the utility knife. And then right at that moment, Jennifer's mom walks in. Because the movie actually starts with Needy telling you. It's like she narrates the whole movie. But at the beginning, she's in like a mental institution or an asylum. She like punches a lady in the mouth and that lady loses a tooth. In her file, she's a kicker (laughs) because she kicks orderlies. But like she, they basically put her in this like solitary room where she like levitates. Ah, yeah, that was good ending. Because she, at the end, she has the power. And then this is the part that pisses me off is because she just happens to be walking away in the middle of the night from this asylum. What does she find? All of like the stuff that they've ever thrown down, the devil's kettle, whirly hole, and is like, oh, there's the knife that the dude threw in there. And then she goes on a rampage and kills all of Low Shoulder. 
And that's the movie. It's a good one. Yeah, it's definitely a good one. If you guys have not watched it or haven't watched it in a decade like we hadn't, definitely go watch it. It's a good, fun watch for sure. But it was just interesting because after learning about the actual case, there was definitely a lot of like parallels and nods to it. You know, differences and stuff, but definitely things you could parallel super, super easy. Well, if it's the case that inspired the movie, it would make sense. Yeah. We did find that article, so that's how we paired everything together, and then I read more saying having that same tagline, so yeah. But that is going to wrap us up here for today for our all-tier bonus episode. We hope you guys enjoyed. If you have any suggestions for other cases that inspired movies, let us know. We'll add them to our list. We will be back on Monday for a regular episode, so we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.